I'm so glad you're joining me for another episode. This is the Disciple Makers Podcast, and I'm your host, Dave Stovall. Today's episode, we have Greg Ogden and Ralph Rittenhouse of Global Discipleship Initiative talking to us about the secret sauce. And you almost got to use like a Jersey accent when you say that secret sauce. Anyway, they brought on a couple of their friends to talk about replicating disciple-making groups. We've got Bev Garcia and Frank McCarthy as well. Before we dive into the episode, if you want to be a part of the National Disciple-Making Forum, you've got just a couple weeks left to use the promo code PODCAST, all lowercase, when you buy your tickets from discipleship.org. You'll get 50% off and you're going to have a great time. It's great every single year. I hope that you will do that. All right, let's listen in to what Greg, Ralph, Bev, and Frank have to say. Hello, I'm Ralph Rittenhouse, president of Global Discipleship Initiative, and we're joining with discipleship.org today to do a presentation that we call Producing Replicating Disciple-Making Groups. Um, my partner, Greg Ogden, is here. Greg, introduce yourself, if you would. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Greg Ogden. I'm chairman of the board of Global Discipleship Initiative. And very involved, obviously, in this, but also an elder in my local church. And uh, sometimes more involved in that than I want to be. But <laughs> working hard at uh, the uh, whole issue of multiplying, multiplying disciple makers uh, at our church as well. This is something that we take very seriously at Global Discipleship Initiative, and we're excited to be able to share some of these things. We have a couple of other guests here, uh, Bev Garcia and Frank McCarthy. We'll share a little more about them in a moment, but uh, they're going to have some things to share with you as well. Greg, why don't you begin by just telling us um, how you develop the curriculum that we use, because we have a specific curriculum that's very important to us, Discipleship Essentials, and uh, you provided that to us, to me particularly, as a pastor years ago, and now we use that in global discipleship. Tell us a little bit about how that came about. Well, let me uh, tell you uh, kind of two things. Uh, it's curriculum and a context uh, is what I would put to, put together. So, or I like to say content, content and context uh, for that. So, yes, Discipleship Essentials has been around in some form or another for quite some time. Uh, probably came out of my own frustration in making disciples because I would be meeting with people one-on-one -on -one, uh, and have a an intense relationship and kind of making stuff up as I went, as I like to say, you know, oh, we need to do some discussion about, you know, basic core doctrine of faith. So let's read John Stott's book, Basic Christianity. I guess we should cover some things on quiet time. Uh, well, let's get some material and do that. Oh, how about applying our faith to our home? Um, so I would be meeting with people one-on-one, -on -one and we just kind of bounce from topic to topic. And I realized I needed something more systematic um, in terms of a, an approach to laying out the foundations of the faith. And the book actually came about uh, in one afternoon when I was jogging around the high school track, and an arrow came out of the sky, as I like to say, and one moment, I wasn't even thinking about this. The next moment, I had the format of Discipleship Essentials in my mind, and uh, which later became. And, uh, and then a sense of call, I had to write this book. Uh, and it was a process over a long period of time of writing and rewriting and, and all that. But it's, it's foundational content, uh, what somebody needs uh, to be in Christ, I think, in terms of at least one person's perspective on that. 
But at the same time uh, that I sort of had this sense of the material, uh, I had an experience of the context in which to use the material. And uh, I was uh, actually completing my doctor minister degree at Fuller Seminary. And uh, my mentor said, uh, well, why don't you think about using this in different contexts? And so I thought, she said, well, why don't you use it in traditional one-on-one format? How about in a small group of 10? And uh, why don't you try group three? See what that's like. <laughs> and so, um, and I, like I say, the rest is history. Um, the uh, experience I had with three people uh, was so different than the dynamics of one-on-one that I was just taken by it. I call it my aha experience in ministry. And I just found that the environment that we were able to create in a group of three then, uh, which we call a triad, and a group of four, which we call a quad, put those two together, we call them a microgroup. And uh, the environments of openness and sharing and support, uh, or better yet, transparency, uh, became uh, so important. So uh, we began to call those the hot houses of the Holy Spirit, uh, where the Lord would show up in an accelerated time as we worked through Discipleship Essentials, in terms of the curriculum and content, and opened our lives to one another around the truth of God's word, uh, we found that we were being changed and transformed because that importance of the transparency. Uh, oftentimes in the church, we do Bible studies, and it's about accumulating information in those Bible studies. And we, yeah, we need to have a sense of the terrain of Scripture, certainly. Uh, but oftentimes it's more information rather than transformation. And scripture transforms us when we open our hearts and our lives to the areas where God needs to make us new and change. Uh, otherwise, we're just accumulating information. And so that's what happens in a microgroup. We uh, try to bring together these two things, an element of curriculum, element of context, uh, of environment, and see things grow and change. And we can describe uh, more about that process as we go. But one of the core things there is a covenant. Uh, We get together around uh, five elements that we all commit ourselves to. Uh, Covenant sometimes is very new to people. Uh, You want me to sign a covenant? Really? We have to be committed to certain standards together. And um, one of the elements on that covenant, which is what our subject matter is for today, is that at the end of our time together, we will then have our own discipleship groups. We will multiply. We will replicate this experience uh, that we've had. So we make that commitment from the beginning. Uh, the way I word it in Discipleship Essentials is we will give serious consideration to continuing the discipling chain by committing myself to invest in at least two other people for the year following the completion of Discipleship Essentials. And this is one of the kind of the unique features, I think, of what we do uh, with uh, GDI. Now, where all this came into my life, Greg, was when I'm a pastor in Southern California, and I've been pastoring for 25 years at that time, and uh, Bev Garcia, also on the screen, was my administrative assistant at the time, and uh, we have done an analysis of our church trying to to try to determine how effective we've been at communicating critical things to people, but not just the communication, but seeing the transformation of lives. 
And in our internal survey to determine this, we came to some startling conclusions that we weren't being as nearly as effective as we thought we might be, and certainly not as effective as we hoped to be. <clears throat> so we were looking for something to help us. We were looking for a curriculum or a material or a methodology or something to help us in the whole area of disciple making, because we weren't really making disciples. As I like to term it sometimes, in, is that we were we were a giant nursery. We had seen a lot of people come to Christ. We'd seen the church grow to a large size, but we were we were not really making disciples, and we knew we should be. And so uh, we were looking for something, and we came across your material. Uh, I first got the Dis- Transforming Discipleship, which is your book that describes all of this, and and I read that. I gave a copy to, to Bev. I gave a copy to a couple other staff members, and we got our heads together and said, okay, let's try an experiment. We'll, we'll each get a group. We'll each get a quad, and I got a quad. Uh, Bev got a quad. Uh, Jim got a quad, Daryl got a quad. We we had four of them that we started. And the unique thing about this, of course, initially was that we began to see the transformation in our own lives. Here, I'm a pastor, for, you know, been a pastor for, for years, and I'm seeing God do something in my heart and my life that I haven't seen happen before. And I and, and this group becomes, it's a group of four guys that we're meeting with, and Frank McCarthy here on the screen also was a part of that group. And we're hearing terms like, you know, this is a this is a highlight of my week, you know, coming to this group. And I'm thinking, okay, I thought Sunday morning should have been the highlight, you know, but no, it's it's coming to this group that's that's being most transformative. So we and then at the end of a year, we saw the thing multiply because we we got the covenant, we Uh, took it seriously. And at the end of a year's time, approximately when our group finished the curriculum, uh, Frank went out and got a group of four, three other guys. Uh, So did uh, Joel and so did Scott. And our group of four guys became four groups of now 16 guys total uh, that were doing this. Bev had a similar experience. Uh, Bev, why don't you share for a minute uh, about your experience? I think your group multiplied for anybody. Your, women have a better <laughs> uh, tendency toward these things than us guys do sometimes. Bev, share a little bit about your experience with your group. I really started from um, Ralph identifying with the retool how there was a bell curve and our church was starting to plateau and go down instead of up. So when we identified the, there were like five different levels. So you had the area where there was the big group, which is the congregation. Then you had the Sunday school classes and then you had the small groups and then uh, you had your own quiet time, but there was a gap there. And we found that that gap was a micro groups of two or three. And so we had asked um, a guy named Sam Hershey from the navigators. And he's the one that pointed that out to us. And that's what prompted Ralph in the circumstances to find the transforming discipleship book and discipleship essentials and ask us to try this out. So I opened the book and the first thing I see is the from the author by Greg Ogden. And I was just blown away by the first page. And I said, this is dynamite. I walked into the office of the church and told one of the other pastors there, um, this is dynamite. We've got to do this. I got 10 different books. I wanted to start many, many groups, but uh, 
the group that I did start of two other women, uh, they were both very oriented towards prayer and had been prayer warriors and had been praying that something like this would happen in our church. And I must say that the, the hard part is that once you get started with this, it was probably uh, one of the hardest times in my life. Just because you are asking people to join you on a journey for accelerated spiritual growth, you can expect accelerated spiritual attack. And that's what happens oftentimes. And just to help people understand that and that it is a commitment, it is a change of lifestyle, not just another program, not just another Bible study, just um, exploded in excitement for the people that were our age who felt they'd been put out pasture and thought that there was really nothing else for them to do. Just, we were supposed to bring in more people who were young so that we could kind of hand off everything to them. But it actually enlivened many people who then um, were challenged to then, okay, pray about it, go out and find and pray and ask two or three others to join you on this journey of accelerated growth. And it just took off in 2010. So thank you, Ralph, for that opportunity to be part of this. And we're still going. And we're still going. And we're still going. Well, the thing that that I think was so unique about this, I'd, I'd been in lots of Bible studies that tried to help me better understand Scripture and better apply certain principles of, of the Christian life to my own experience. But somehow they left out a critical component and this is what we're calling the secret sauce. And that is that I'm not supposed to be just a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm supposed to be a disciple maker for Jesus Christ. And that's the part that was kind of left out. And this thing that we're talking about focuses on that component, not just being a disciple of Christ, but becoming a disciple maker. Now, now, Frank, you were in my first group and you, you were you were a guinea pig. <laughs> this was an experimental thing. We, we didn't know whether it was going to work or not, but I invited you in. And tell us a little bit about your experience there, Frank. Well, I've been in a lot of Bible studies through the years. I'm a general contractor here in California. And uh, after several years of Bible study, I realized uh, that there's got to be more than just taking in all this information. You know, it's great to learn about the Lord and and to study study the Word with other men. But I always thought that, gosh, now what? I, I remember asking that question one morning at breakfast. What do we do with this now? And it was like a few months later, Ralph came upon this curriculum that Greg had done and invited me into this group. And, and little did I know that it would change my life radically. Um, soon I was involved and in, in, included in the elder group in our church. I was voted in and have been involved in uh, six, six disciple groups in the last 10 years. I'm starting a new one next week. And everyone is a new adventure. Like Bev, like Bev said, feels like uh, I'm, you know, pilgrim and, and Bunyan's pilgrim progress. You know, it's, it really is an adventure. And whenever you get a small group of people together and you're intimate with, with things that are going on in your life, whether good or bad, the struggles people go through, uh, you just don't share that anywhere else. And to grow together uh, in, a, in the Great Commission, you sense the Holy Spirit leading, really leading the group. It's not me. It's not a pastor. It's really guided by the Holy Spirit. And that's something I've experienced. And I think I'll do this till the day I die. 
Yeah. And your wife, Regan, has also gotten involved in building disciples like this, and she's had numerous groups as well. Uh, it's been it's, it's an exciting thing to see this start to multiply. And though I, re, I read the book and it said it was supposed to do that, but you don't know whether it's going to work or not. So we called it an experiment when we started in the first place. Uh, I launched a group. Uh, Bev launched a group. A couple other staff guys launched groups. And uh, we just got together once a week to kind of notes and see how we were doing and uh, we saw it was good we liked what was happening in our lives but then when it began to multiply and the groups began to uh, it, it the multiplication component uh, gets really exciting it takes time it takes years actually but but it eventually you begin to see the impact of it now i i i then when it began to retired from ministry in Camarillo, California, which is the church I began there. And um, I retired about five and a half years ago and came up here to Washington State. I'm in near Bellingham, Washington. And we uh, I got involved in a church that my son-in-law was on staff of. And I went to the pastor of this church and asked if we could, if I could do some disciple making up here, if he'd be okay with that. I want to get his permission. And to my surprise, he uh, not only gave me permission to start, he said, I want to be in your first group. Um, okay, <laughs> that was exciting. And so we started our first group up here. And I want to, I want to share with you, if I can, uh, a little bit of Bob's testimony, because Bob Marvel, the senior pastor up here, uh, I asked him to share a little bit about his experience with this, and he was gra uh, gracious to do that. So I want to tell you a little bit about my introduction. And my it's going to it's already on, and I'm sharing it with you. Uh, and using the discipleship essentials. But to understand this, give you a little bit of a backstory. I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. Grew up going to Sunday school. Going to something very it? similar to Awana. That's uh, it, Rock. Summer uh, in you can't see Bible it. school. As I got older, I went to youth group. I've been in one. Okay, let me start again. Uh, stop, stop it and go to the youth group. Yeah, I'll start again. I get this right. For I'm going to put it up first, and then it'll it should show it from the beginning. Here we go. No. Yeah. Okay, you can see him now, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm on. Go back to the beginning. Angels in one and one. All right, here we go. I want to tell you a little bit about my introduction and my experience. Is that working now? Discipleship groups uh, and using the discipleship essentials. But to understand this, give you a little bit of a backstory. I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. Grew up going to Sunday school, going to something very similar to Awana. Uh, spent every summer uh, in vacation Bible school. As I got older, I went to youth group. I've been in one-on-one -on -one discipleship uh, groups where I was being discipled. I've discipled individuals in one-on-one -on -one groups. I've been in men's Bible studies, couples, small groups, all these for discipleship. The purpose is for spiritual growth. And I want to uh, suggest that possibly the quads and the discipleship essentials may take things to a next level. I was first introduced to this by a man named Ralph Rittenhouse. Some of you know Ralph. We refer to him as the Quad Father around here. It was either going to be the Quad Father or Quadzilla. I decided to go with Quad Father. But I knew him years ago uh, because he was a senior pastor in Camarillo, California. His church there was a host of the Leadership Summit, as was Cornwall. And so we would meet each other and see each other 
uh, at these gatherings of host pastors. In addition to that, his son-in-law, Mike Ford, had come on our staff, and so I knew his daughter and his, his son-in-law. After he retired uh, from vocational, full-time vocational senior pastor ministry, he and his wife, Jackie, moved here to Bellingham and became a part of Plumwald Church. And one day I was asking his daughter, Chrissy, how her dad was doing with the retirement and not preaching every week and not having Easter services or Christmas Eve. And she said, well, he's really involved in this global discipleship thing, and he's really excited about that. So when I ran into him, I said, Ralph, I'd like to hear about uh, your involvement and what you've got going. So we went and had a coffee. Four sentences, and somehow he has a way of turning the conversation toward Jesus and towards quads and discipleship. And so he was talking about the Global Discipleship Initiative, GDI, and what they were doing throughout the world and what these quads were. And I asked him if he was going to start one here in, in Bellingham or Washington County, and if so, could I be a part of it? And so I got to be a, a, one of his uh, members of his very first quad here in Whatcom County, and we signed on the dotted line that covenant on March 2nd, uh, 2016. Uh, the quad is a group of four individuals, and it uses this curriculum of discipleship uh, essentials. And there's the discipleship essentials is really a great, uh, a great foundational tool. It's almost like a systematic theology Great foundation for people who are new to the faith. It's actually a great reminder for people who have been walking with the Lord for a while. One of the things I love about it is that it has the discipline of scripture memory, as well as uh, meeting together in accountability relationships over the course of maybe a year, year and a half. And uh, the thing that I think is so great about this is that the goal is not just to become a spiritual adult. I mean, I grew up hearing about baby Christians and young in their faith, and then the goal is for them to be mature and become a spiritual adult. The goal of the quads in this curriculum is to become a spiritual parent, in that the fact is now I'm not just mature, but I am reproducing myself in others. And so the kind of the secret sauce behind all this is that in the covenant that you make from the very beginning, it's this strong consideration that you will give to at the end of your discipleship a year, year and a half, that you will then start your own plot. And the great thing about that is the way that this has a multiplying effect built into it. This is different than any other discipleship program I've been exposed to, and I think this is one of the things that will make it most effective uh, for the future. A year or so ago, I was on a sabbatical. Now, on that time away, uh, two things. I was walking with my wife across Spain, so I had a lot of time to think every single day. In that journey, I turned 55, which was kind of a, a milestone year. And in reflection on my life, 55, my ministry at Cornwall, the remaining chapter of being a senior pastor for the next 10 or 15 years that the Lord were to allow, how would I best utilize that time in this, this final run of my ministry? And one of the things that I came to the conclusion of is I want to just continue to point people to Jesus, but I thought about the kind of impact that I would have of preaching sermons that would be great, of leading the church that would be great, but of pouring my life into others. And so I've just started my third quad, and I cannot imagine over the next 10 or 15 years or however long I have here on this earth and here at this church, and even beyond that into my retirement years, of ever not having a quad where I am pouring myself into other individuals, where we're learning and growing together, where I'm learning from, and where it's multiplying to allow other people uh, to be able to do that with groups as well. 
the kind of impact that that will have on our church, the kind of impact that that will have on our community, the kind of impact that that will have in the kingdom of God is far greater than can happen just in weekend services. So I'm very excited about quads. I'm very much involved with these. I believe in these. And I really am excited that you're considering being a part of one. And I think that you'll be blessed if you do. One of the things that we experienced, however, as we began to multiply these quads uh, initially, because I got uh, senior leadership in my in my quad to start with. I had two elders and a would in a soon to be elder in my first quad, and they reproduced quickly. Uh, I continued to gather leaders, people that I knew could take this material. Um, they could digest it quickly. They could then turn around and quickly multiply into others. But over time, we began to sense that our numbers of reproduction in reproduction were going down. Uh, not everybody was, was following through. Not everybody was able to get a quad together. And uh, we began to get concerned about this. So about two and a half years into this in Camarillo, uh, we termed this the reproduction riddle. Uh, what's the problem here? How? Why is this not reproducing like uh, it was initially? And as I think about it, most, most small group ministries are, are intended to reproduce or build or, or multiply. And yet I think this is a common problem in reproduction. It just doesn't happen sometimes. So we began to assess what the problem was, our problems were. Uh, we made this a, a particular objective that year to figure out the reproduction. It'll find it, solve it. And, um, and so we came up with a number of things that we thought were inhibitors, barriers to reproduction, and some solutions to that. And we want to spend the rest of our time today just talking a little bit about how we solve this reproduction riddle. Um, again, I say the initial success for me was that I had, I chose uh, mature believers to be a part of my group. And it wasn't that we knew everything because we, we had so much to learn. We just didn't know we did. Uh, we learned so much from uh, uh, from being in the group anyway, but um, to these were individuals who were ready, ready to reproduce when that time came. Um, Bev, your group, uh, who did you choose for your first group? Uh, how ready, ready were they to reproduce? I think what you just said, Ralph, is a, a big factor. Not everybody is going to want to be a disciple maker. And I remember when I would ask various people, uh, they would say, I just don't have time for another Bible study. I, I've already done this. I, I already know all the basics. Um, why am I even doing this? So once you help them understand this is not about you, this is about you being a disciple maker to hand off your faith, then it made a big difference. But I did start out with uh, one woman who I think she's four years older than me and another who's 10 years younger. And Van was a Vietnamese uh, refugee, but she, she was a prayer warrior. And so was uh, Karen Van Zee, just two amazing uh mature women who, quote, knew everything already, had the information, but were ready to hand off their faith. And they're still going strong to continue um, asking other people to join them on a journey for accelerated spiritual growth to be in a quad and, and study together so that they too can learn how to be a disciple maker. 
Van Trong, who is the Vietnamese member of your group, interestingly enough, she and her mm -hmm. husband got this material translated into Vietnamese. So you talk about multiplication. I mean, that 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 opened up a whole another ethnic segment of our population of the planet that now can access these materials because of the impact it had on their lives. Uh, well, well, that's a, a factor. I think um, it's now in 23 languages, I believe, Greg. Right. I think that's our latest count. Yes. 23 and counting. Yeah. They seem to be there. I have a, I have two groups right now, a, a group with Pakistani pastors that are translating into Urdu and a, uh, an Indian pastor from India who's translating it into Olivo or something, uh, what they speak in Odisha, India, is a local language, and he's translating it there. And also, I'm with a, a pastor in Myanmar who's translating it into Burmese or getting it translated, and we're working there to get it to translation there. So the translations are growing. That's a multiplication component as well um, that we're seeing here. Now, let me let me go toss this back to Frank for a moment. Frank, you you. Uh, started a group uh, after we finished. You started a group, and, and now you're starting another group. I think next week, aren't you? Yes, I, I'm starting a group next week. Uh, this is I'm excited. There, all three men are very excited about the you know opportunity to jump on another adventure. Um, my first group was uh, it was an interesting group because it, Ralph always called me the anomaly because I always did things kind of different. Uh, I had I had a group of there was four of us, but uh, I had a youth pastor who saw our group one day when he came into the restaurant and asked what I was doing and asked if he could join. And another fellow whose wife was dying of cancer uh, was, was a friend of one of the guys in the group. And he went to a different church and he asked if I could have him join our group. And I said, of course. So we had five or six men from five different churches in that particular group. But uh, it really uh, changed our lives because uh, through that journey to help that one man through his his wife's battle with cancer, they were financially strapped. They were going to lose their house. They were up to their eyeballs and medical bills. Um, so we did a fundraiser at our local uh, one of our uh, uh, country clubs, and I, know, I think we had 250 people show up, and and it changed their lives uh, big time. They were able to save their house. We raised enough money to save their house pay their medical bills off, get them a trip. Someone offered a trip to Hawaii. They'd never been before she passed away. So it just, uh, those kind of things, I don't know how you can quanti quantify that, but that's just one story um, of, of the six groups I've done. I know God's going to you know, bring other stories into the mix um, and it's going to start next week and I can't wait. I want to take a quick break and tell you about something cool happening over at Discipleship.org. It's our Discipleship.org collective. It's an online community for disciples and disciple makers. And if you fit in either one of those categories, then the collective is designed just for you. The website itself is super cool because it's basically like stepping into a virtual church building with a welcome center, an auditorium for our main events, and even classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective with all of its webinars, seminars, ebooks, and even disciple-making assessments for you personally or for your whole church. And this is a community, so you can also have the opportunity to connect with other disciple-makers. 
And while membership is free, there's also a premium access option, which includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So head on over to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. Greg, uh, when you think about the challenge that's there in multiplication, what are the things that first come to mind as far as things that may prevent people from multiplying? Well, I, I, I would say the big picture issue uh, in relationship, particularly to the American church, is we people are not even having this on their radar screen. It's not even part of their consciousness. People do not go to church uh, from the standpoint of, equip me to disciple others. That is not even on people's agenda. Um, you know, the it's a low commitment culture that we're fighting against. We, we're swimming upstream when we're trying to focus on this kind of the kind of issue. Uh, the the common person comes to church to initially sit in a pew, listen to a message, right? And uh, perhaps they pat themselves on the back uh, for I showed up this week, you know, and I passively sat there and heard message. Maybe it was very helpful uh, to me. But they even think about the fact that I'm I'm coming here to be equipped to disciple others. It's uh, it's just not a part of the DNA of most of our of our churches or the expect even an expectation uh, that this would happen. So when we are inviting people into these groups and kind of trying to create this expectation of you will be equipped to disciple others, it's like oh my gosh, um, this may be a whole new adventure for me to even think about doing this. Uh, do I have the confidence? Can I give the confidence to do it? I think many people are saying um, to themselves, do I have the biblical knowledge uh, to be able to sit in a seat and where I'm inviting people other to be on the journey with me? What if I get asked a question that I don't know the answer to? Uh, I don't want to have my ignorance exposed. And you know, all of these things, I think, go, they go through people's, people's minds, as well as just taking responsibility for inviting somebody else to join them. And, uh, you know, um, I've, I just completed a, a group that I, we were on the broadcast last week and, uh, you know, this intergenerational group. And one of the guys is Scott. He's in his late, late 50s, um, very committed to carrying on the disciple making ministry. And he initially got two guys and he was delaying the start because he was trying to find a fourth. And uh, he, uh, I think he's asked 12 men now to be the fourth in, the, in this group and gotten 12 no's for a variety of reasons. Um, but a large part of it is, do I really want to commit the time and energy into this effort? Uh, we re- expect people to do the work in the workbook, Disciples with Essentials, prior to coming uh, to their, their meeting, spend an hour and a half per week investing in one another. Uh, it's a ratcheting up of commitment that the American church has not asked. And I, I sit there and listen to pastors say, you know, uh, what can we ask people to do? Oh my gosh, you know, um, gosh, at most we can ask people to make maybe two or three commitments a week. Well, one of those commitments is to come to worship. Uh, another commitment may be to go to a Bible study or something like that, or a, a small group. Maybe to to do an hour of service. And we're trying to work from the standpoint of what's the minimum stuff that we can ask people to do. Um, and we have these low expectations. <laughs> no. People, 
As long as we have low expectations, people will rise to our low expectations. <laughs> well, I think I think Bev said it well too that we discipleship is about me. I become more like Christ. Disciple making is about somebody else. Right. And we have we've come to church for our own benefit. We're, we, and that's our primary reason for showing up is that we get the benefit of it and maybe some points in heaven. But we <clears throat> we've never thought about the fact that we are expected. And I think this is Jesus's expectation that his followers would follow his example and do what he did, which was make disciples. Estimated 90 percent of his time was spent with those 12 guys either involved in involved with him in ministry or watching him in ministry um, that whole time. So, uh, wow. And if we're expected to do that, if we're expected to become like Christ, then disciple making has to be a part of that. So, yeah, those are those are some of the typical barriers that are there. Um, we I, when I was listing out. Uh, barriers that I noted as we were trying to figure this out for our church and solve the reproduction riddle. One of the things is that some people are relationally challenged. You know, they don't have a lot of friends, and we live in a culture where you don't. You you get out of bed, you uh, go have your breakfast, you jump in your car, you go to work, and you work all day. You come home, you watch you know football or something on TV until it's time to get up and go to bed. And you have this, we have this mundane lifestyle that we don't have a lot of deep friendships. Right. And those that we do have, <clears throat> many times they are challenged by uh, maybe some differences in political stance or, you know, where we are in a stage of life or all kinds of things. And so we just don't relate well. Um, we're talking about building deep relationships, meaningful relationships with the people. And as a, as a senior pastor, I didn't have many of those. I, I shook hands with everybody on the way out on Sunday morning, you know, but that was about the depth of the relationship was yeah. I right. it, I didn't have a lot of deep relationships. And when I spent, you know, a year, uh, spending at least an hour and a half every week with, you know, three guys, specific guys, Frank and two others. Um, we, we developed some deep relationships and we still have those deep relationships. You know, I, I still go to, if I'm, if I'm in Camarillo, I try to schedule quad meeting <laughs> with my original group because I you know, love these guys and we built that kind of relationship. Um, so, but some people are relationally challenged and you have to find a way to help them. <clears throat> um, one of the ways uh, that we help relationally challenge is we pair them with somebody who's not. You know, if I've got somebody in my group that's just not, doesn't feel like they can make it, they can handle this by themselves. Like, okay, why don't you and Joe do it together? You know, and I take two members of my group and send them out as a pair. And, and that helps. That gets them past that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a pretty good biblical model, I think. <laughs> Sending them out in pairs. That's good. Reflecting on that, just in terms of just sending people out two by two, what you are emboldened to do when you have a partner Yes. It's so much more than you might be frightened away from when you don't have a partner. <laughs> so it takes so much more initiative uh, on your own. And it's kind of like getting a rocket ship off the ground, you know. Yeah. <laughs> how, do, how do you get it going? Um, but, uh, yeah, I think the two-by-two two is really helpful to have. You know, there's some people that can take the initiative to do that. I think the other thing connected to that, uh, what I sense, not so much spoken but unspoken is, you know, if I'm a lay person, you know, like 
Frank is an unusual guy. He, 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 he's a, a bold guy, steps out. But if a lay person is, is in, inviting another lay person, let's say, into a group, and this is what we're going to do, that person might, who's being invited might say, well, what do you have to teach me? You know, you're just like I am. You know, uh, you didn't go to seminary. You didn't have Bible training. Um, I want to learn from the experts. You know, you're not an expert. Uh, and so uh, that we have to get over that because uh, th- these pastor-centered ministries that we have, where we look to the pastor for the answer for all, all things spiritual, versus an equipping center ministry with the people of God who are carrying out the ministry. You have to have that kind of culture that's a part of it as well to support it. Because what I see happening too is people can get onto this whole idea of developing a microgroup and trying to have it grow organically. But the rest of the church system is basically pastor focused. So you're trying to, uh, you know, I call it a, a skin graft. You're trying to do a skin graft on the, onto, onto a body that is going to reject it because it's not set up organically to support an every member ministry. So you have to work at the kind of whole culture of the life of the church to, to have that support as well. Well, I, as you know, we are, this is a, the second part of a three-part series for Global Discipleship Initiative, uh, uh, partnering with discipleship.org. Um, you started last week uh, by sh- sharing an intergenerational group and showing people what those quads look like. Yeah. Uh, today, we're talking about how to make a multiply. Next week, we're going to be talking about the Camarillo story, um, more in depth of what happened in Camarillo. And we saw, we as we began to, um, to embrace this and to execute it in our church, uh, we were just learning. We had so much to learn, and we saw so many things um, happen that surprised us. Uh, some of the things um, we didn't expect, and we'll talk again about some of those next week. But um, this whole multiplication challenge uh, was a part, and like you say, it's not a part of the DNA of most churches. Uh, our churches today are pastor centered. Uh, pastor focused. I was a pastor uh, for all of those years, and I know what that's like. Uh, it was kind of all on my shoulders, and I can't tell you the relief that I began to feel as a senior pastor when Frank McCarthy and Bev Garcia and Jim Moyer and all of the rest of those who got involved began to take on the responsibility of helping people grow and be transformed into the likeness of Christ. All of a sudden, you know, Sunday morning was a piece of cake now because I knew all of this was going on in the, in the church at large. Um, it was multiplying and we saw it multiplying and we knew this was working. Um, but uh, to keep it going, uh, to keep the multiplication happening, there were a num- number of things that we had to institute. Uh, we began to have uh, motivational events for disciple making. Uh, we get all our disciple makers together, you know, and we would we would bring in an outside speaker who'd talk about uh, disciple making and how important it was. 
uh, we even started the baton thing uh, because in the, in one of the chapters of your book, you mentioned uh, your book, Transforming Discipleship, you mentioned the Olympics in Seoul, Korea, where the American team was supposed to be handing off the baton and running the four by 100 relay, fastest team in the world. Everybody knew they were going to win. And yet at the last handoff, they dropped the baton and were disqualified. And so we we started this thing at, in Camarillo where we took a baton. We, we you know this is this is the baton and it's a it's a typical uh, relay baton. And we would when a person completed the curriculum for disciple making, uh, we would do a public service where we gave them this a baton with their name on it, and we would emphasize don't drop the baton don't <laughs> drop the baton because you know we just had to make sure that everybody understood how critical this is if somebody hadn't been passing that baton back in the first century we wouldn't be here today right, right. somebody had to pass this on and so and and it really is the obligation of every church member every christ follower has that responsibility to pass the baton so yeah. and you also mentioned yeah, we'll break in for a second. We have a question, and this may be a good one for both Frank and Bev to, to respond to. Uh, Jared asks uh, a very practical question. Uh, do you have any specific advice on how to lead the content portion of a weekly group? Uh, for instance, do you have any prompts to get people t- talking on specific items? Um, so, uh, Bev, anything comes to your mind or Frank? Um, you are involved in those weekly groups. Maybe just describe a little bit what what life is like in one of the, with one of the groups and and how this prompts uh, kind of work. Go ahead, Frank. Okay, yeah, the book uh, Discipleship Essentials is loaded with great information to lead into the groups and and ask some of those those questions. So uh, the cur- curriculum really is 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 uh, all encompassing. So. Obviously, you know, to have people skills helps, um, you know, to draw people in, ask, you know, questions about them and about their own lives. Uh, anytime you can draw people into, you know, talking about themselves, really that that helps. Um, but I think uh, the Discipleship Essentials curriculum really helps a ton. Uh, Greg outlines that. He's been through a ton of different scenarios. So the fact that he actually wrote this uh, enables us to to look at it read it, and then help, uh, you know, understand some of the questions we should ask, and also to lean on each other. Uh, again, the Holy Spirit will help you through through a lot of this. Um, you pray about it. You, you go into your groups. You know, if you're if you're someone who's not really uh, relational, it's, it's challenging to do that, then, you know, uh, talk to someone who's good, with who has people skills. Uh, and, but overall, I think uh, it takes care of itself. Once you start getting into these groups, it's small enough where you can, you know, grow together. It's not overwhelming when you have, you know, three or four people around you, unlike a group that you would have maybe 10 people uh, or mixed groups. Uh, this is well, it's easier to have a conversation that way, isn't it, with, this, with it being smaller uh, like that. And the size makes a difference in terms of the ability to be and. And as you indicated, people are expected to come having done some homework. Uh, they have, have already studied the material. You're basically kind of asking questions that are already there. 
and the, the prompts are built in, in a sense. Yeah, yeah, and and when a person takes the word of God and they take the the leadership of the the curriculum, it leads them into the word of God. They ask the questions, they find answers. They come back pretty excited to share what they found. Right. You know, it's not just the pastor on Sunday morning now that's excited about sharing what he found in his Bible study. Everybody comes to the group and they're excited because they found something. So the interaction is pretty spontaneous. At least that's what I find. Bev, what about you? Any thoughts there? I guess I have several. Um, it, it really depends upon the group that you have. I'll just give you a negative example, okay? Okay. So it will help you to know maybe things to avoid. Um, I'm a former English teacher and special ed teacher, instructional designer, and so I thought, oh, well, I'll just get a group of teachers together. So I did. And of course, what could I have imagined, but they're tired. I mean, I know what it's like to teach seven different subjects and just be exhausted at the end of the day from all the parent requests and administration requests and the students and so forth. And so they would come in tired. And instead of getting right into the lesson, it would be, let's dump all our stuff. Let's find out all the bad stuff that happened and what this student did and why this administrator. And it, so it became a, a gripe session for like the first 10 to 15 minutes. And it was hard for me to get everybody back on track. And of course, because they're teachers and because it does take a lot of outside work to prepare for a classroom, um, having prepared for these lessons was not a priority. And it, so it started kind of a, on a, a, a bad foot. But then once we did get in the lesson, one of the issues was um, people from various church backgrounds. So then we would, you know, get sometimes distracted, which is not what the curriculum is. It's basic, uh, fundamental, clear Bible, not getting on into denominations, except for one time when we got onto the chapter about the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, she said, well, I always thought the Holy Spirit was just an it, and, and I just cannot relate to this. And so, you know, undoing things like that, of uh, uh, what does that mean to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and that he works in and through you and he indwells you. So we would get in discussions like that. But the negative part of this is that at, at the end of the 25 lessons, which you, I mean, it, it was a struggle, again, to stay on topic each week rather than get into a gripe session about what had happened at school that day. By the end of it, they said, oh, what are we going to do next? Uh, let's do Revelation. I said, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I, I was thinking that during the time that we did this, that you were understanding that you were going to be asking two or three others about a third or two-thirds of the way through and pray about who to ask to take them through this same study. And I mean, the whole group fell apart. It, it was just like, they they thought this was another Bible study, another, wow, we enjoyed the fellowship together. It's a great time. So that's one thing to avoid or a negative example of what, uh, what can happen and that is frustrating. But sometimes I'd have one or two groups at the same time. So it didn't totally deflate me that deflate me that uh, that's a great that's a great learning 
It's a great learning illustration, Bill, though, and I think a good uh, a good warning for us that you, when you start out, yeah, you do need to help people understand what they're getting into, and reading through the covenant with them doing the during the invitation time when we're still inviting them to participate, helping them realize where we're going. Because I did the same thing. I did. I wasn't real clear many times, you know, initially with people what we were what we, they were starting with what we were intending to do with all this where it was going to go i wasn't even sure myself frankly <laughs> in the beginning i wasn't sure it was supposed to go. but when we did figure that out and, and began to realize where uh, i still uh, now have to start very slowly with people uh, when i'm inviting them in and help them understand what they're signing up for uh, so that I don't have to stop in the middle and uh, and reconvince them that this is something they should do. But if that's the case, and sometimes it is, sometimes it is, even when you do all the explanations, you have to stop and revisit this idea of, okay, why we're doing this is so that we can become disciple makers. And what we're going to ask you to do when we get to the conclusion uh, is to go out and get your own group. Yeah. Greg visits this. Tell them about the curriculum and where this comes up in the curriculum. Yeah, well, perfect segue here because last Wednesday, uh, in my morning group, we were at uh, the renewal of the covenant right after lesson eight. It's called an action page. Uh, review and renew the covenant. And I always take that as an opportunity to especially go to number five on that covenant list to remind them of um, that once the process here is that you will have your own group and uh, to recommit that and reinforce that. And so last Wednesday, I said, okay, each one of us, let's log in. Um, how are you feeling about having your own group? Where are you on that? Um, and so it, it was good for them to articulate how they're sensing. And I said, do you have people in mind already that you think you could invest in? And I think to a person, they all said, yeah, I want to step up to that responsibility. I want to step up to that, that commitment. But it's good to have people kind of review that or renew it as you go and reinforce that principle because uh, we need to keep that in front of people's minds. I think people do generally live up to expectations that they absorb. So if we can keep the expectation in front of them and not forget about it <laughs> during the whole time, and then all of a sudden at the end we're saying, oh, by the way, um, you know, don't you remember? Um, no, we have to keep coming back to that all the way through the process. It's interesting that you said you've got a group that's just passed that. I'm a, I, my Myanmar group is at, we've just finished chapter 16. We're going to chapter 17, but between chapter 16 and 17 is the, is another page where you go back and you revisit the covenant. And so we'll do that at the first of next week's session. We'll go back and review this covenant that they're making, that they're going to become disciple makers. If that's what we agreed to, that's what we want. We're asking God to help us become. And again, not everybody, even though you they they commit to it, they want to do it, are, are really capable at the end of the of the time. And sometimes it's because of the relational challenges that they have, and so you pair them with somebody. Sometimes it's because of the confidence issue; they just don't have the confidence yet, and so you try to help them through that. One of the things that I always emphasize with my group in order to handle these kinds of things is we don't stop when we finish their basic curriculum. Hmm. Uh, I usually meet with those, this group. I'll continue to meet with them uh, at least monthly. Uh, I'll meet with them, continue to meet with them to encourage them as they get their group started. 
So we don't just abandon them once they finish the curriculum, because my job as a disciple maker is to help them become disciple makers. And so my job's not done just because I got through the curriculum. My my job's not done until they're making disciples who make disciples. So um, we we try to emphasize that with our leaders. I would say even for those who do not sense that they can or will go on to have their own groups, I think to a person, I've found that they've had increased sense of what their ministry responsibilities are. Yes. And some may find, oh, you know what? I'm, a, I'm really a kind of a natural teacher. I can think of Grant. Grant uh, was in a disciples group. I don't know that he's ever replicated, but he, be, he became a, a, a teacher of adult classes in our church. Mm-hmm. And uh, he found he had a teaching gift um, and uh, enjoyed that, the preparation and, and and teaching and, and others, other you know kinds of things. So there, there's always a positive spinoff, uh, even if the, the persons do not go on to replicate their that experience. Right, Bev, you want to make a comment? When it comes to um, the actual order of the topics, uh-huh. um, Greg, if you could just go through the topic, I think that's a, a great way to help people understand that this is um, intentionally organized. And one of the key words for discipleship is being intentional. So uh, could you tell us about the order of the actual topics and why you did that? Yeah, um, yeah, it's a pretty simple layout in some ways. So the, the first two lessons in Discipleship Essentials set the tone uh, of the entirety of the work. So first lessons about what is discipling and discipling is an intentional investment in others and seeing that replicational experience walking alongside. And the second lesson is who is a disciple? And uh, where does Jesus set the bar for our call to, to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him? So the, the tone is set in the first two. Um, lesson three through six are, are, are focused around the question, how do we stay connected to Christ? And it's an introduction to spiritual disciplines um, of Quiet time, Bible study, prayer, and worship. Uh, the second section is uh, around the whole issue of uh, what is Christ? What has Christ done for us? And so, kind of the basic doctrinal section uh, built around uh, the Triune God, uh, and we are made in the image and likeness of God. We sinned against this God. Uh, Jesus chases us down in grace. The prodigal son. Uh, we, he gave us the redemption, justification, and adoption. You know, in, in terms are the topics in that section, and then uh, the third section is kind of so what? <laughs> you know, so what if we know all of these wonderful things that Christ has done for us? Uh, what does Christ want to do in us? Is the answer that the, the question that answered in the third section, and of course the work of the Holy Spirit in terms of the internal work of the presence of Jesus in our life, trust, love, justice, witness, uh, all come under that section uh, and, and disciples of essentials. And then the the flow changes in the fourth section. What does Christ want to do through us? Uh, So church, uh, ministry gifts, um, spiritual warfare, obedience, uh, replication. uh, And uh, and our ministry is at the end there. There's a little bonus chapter on money uh, at the end of the the book. So four distinct sections, um, but take you kind of through uh, that you can see the panorama of of foundational content. 
put you in a position to be able to because you've sat there with three other guys for a year or longer and you've not only have you do you have your answers written down in the book but i've got the other guy's answer is written down in my book because his answer was better than mine. So I wrote his down. <laughs> so I feel like I've got a good text now and, a, and a, a leader's guide in my hand to start a group. So we're really trying to prepare them for that so that when they get to that uh, conclusion of their, their study, they can turn around and start a group. One final question. I see we're running out of time here rapidly. Um, so Rick asked the question, if quads are ever birthed out of existing groups, are quads ever birthed out of existing? I think it means larger, you know, maybe small groups or classes. Um, do we find, how would we answer that in, in about two words or less? <laughs> I would answer it with the, the name Simon Smela. Simon is a uh, pastor of a church in the UK, and he came to me just a few months ago and said, I've got quads already going in my church. We've already been doing this. We just didn't have a curriculum. And I'm, I saw your curriculum online. I want to learn how to do this. So now I have him in a cohort now or a training quad for pastors where he's learning how to make this transition uh, to uh, from from what he already has into what he wants to become, and that is a disciple making church. So yeah, and you know, in Camarillo, uh, I had my own personal small group that I had been leading for years. Uh, that we came to an end of our curriculum, whatever we were using at the time, and they said we want to do the disciple making stuff. I said, well, wait a minute, we can't do that. We're we're we're, we're gender mixed, and we uh, encourage people to do these in gender specific groups. And they said, well, we'll have the women go in the kitchen, and the men will sit in the living room and do it. I said, okay, let's pray about it for a week, and we'll come back next week and talk. And sure enough, we that's exactly what we did, and uh, it was a wonderful time, and the gals actually replicated, we replicated, and my small group disappeared because we all became you know, quad leaders uh, later on. Well, we are out of time, and we've got more to share. Uh, we will share more next week as we come back, and we'll tell the Camarillo story in detail. I have some more guests that will be joining us that will be or a part of that. Uh, we look forward to sharing that with those who are listening in as well. Um, be uh, Feel free to call us or to contact us. We showed you our website. Uh, we showed you the video from our website. We've got lots of other videos there on the website. Uh, YouTube we channel, Ralph. It's a YouTube channel. Okay, it's a YouTube. You go to web website, the website takes you to the YouTube channel. So that's an and easy thing. The, the website, go to globaldi.org. Globaldi.org. And you get to our website. And from the website, you can access a myriad of you can, yeah, you can get our YouTube channel and our blog as well. So you get the blog and the YouTube channels and all of those things. So anyway, thanks for joining us today. We're delighted if this has been beneficial to you. We hope it has. Uh, it was a joy for us to be with you. Hey, have I told you lately about the National Disciple Making Forum Coming up November 4th and 5th, it's going to be awesome. You can use a promo code podcast, all lowercase, and get 50% off that purchase price. I feel like I hadn't told you that in a while, so I just wanted to tell you again. I really hope that you'll come join us. I'll be leading worship with my team. It's going to be great. We're going to have a bunch of speakers talking to us about discipleship 
how to get fired up about making disciples and living out the Great Commission with our lives. So I'm excited about it. All right, make sure you go take advantage of that discount, and I hope to see you there. Oh, 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 oh